Rachel Aileen Carpenter is the host of the Wicked or Wise podcast. Subscribe and listen on Apple Podcast, Spotify, Google Podcast, TuneIn, iHeartRadio, and more. Visit her at wickedorwise.com and follow her on Facebook pages, Instagram, at Wicked or Wise. Reference your episode notes for details. Her podcast content will touch your heart, blow your mind, and most importantly, minister to your spirit. Hello, Sister Rachel. Thank you for joining us. Welcome to Spirit Signal. Hi, Brother Gleason. Thanks so much for having me. I'm very excited to be here. Your your podcast is amazing. Uh, well, thank you so much. You know, I, I got to say, when I first saw your podcast, I thought, oh, Wicked or Wise. Oh, wow. Is that like Wicked, like the Land of Oz, like the Wicked Witch of the West and East? And I opened it up and no, it's like Jezebel and, and Zipporah and all them. I'm like, ah, it's the women of the Bible, mm-hmm. my favorite. But uh, your uh, podcast is very catchy. I love it. It's uh, literary and personable, the way podcasting is uh, meant to be. Let me ask you, you could have used for your title something like just or unjust, humble or prideful, truth or lies or truth or dare. Why did you choose wicked or wise as the two main aspects of your content for the women of the Bible? Aside from it just being catchy. (laughs) Um, Well, it is. There was a quote that I heard in my young teens that has really stuck with me throughout life. It's um, by an American rancher slash author who lived in the 1880s. His name is M.H. McKee, and he said, wisdom is knowing the right path to take, integrity is taking it. Um, So if wisdom is knowing the right path, then choosing the opposite of that right path must be wickedness, right? That's the opposite of righteousness is wickedness. So those are the two options, to be wicked or to be wise. And uh, I, I actually went through a lot of different names and Oh, gosh, it was really hard to decide what to actually call this podcast. And I ran a bunch past my family, my trusted spiritual counsel. But Wicked or Wise was the very first thing that came to mind when I decided to do a podcast. And even after going through 20, 30, 40 different options, Wicked or Wise, I couldn't get it out of my head. I just knew it had to be that. And I think God was using that because he knew it was going to be what was needed to grab the attention. Because, I mean, if you look around at the world, we see a lot of wickedness. And we all know what we desperately need right now is wisdom. Absolutely. And you know, you look at the Garden of Eden, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Yes. And I think that's just the way the world is. It's either wicked or wise, and it's been set up that way uh, from the beginning, and God has his interpretation of it, and Satan certainly has his interpretation of it as well, and that's the the great battle uh, for our souls. I was very intrigued by your cover art, the eyes and the crown, and I'm really trying to get into art and not just what good art is, but more so the meaning of art. You you talk a lot about ancient cultures and mythologies in your, your content, which I love. And ancient civilizations didn't have, you know, long language and alphabets like we do. Most of their uh, communication was done through, through uh, pictures. And uh, I just think your crown and your eyes, that graphic, there is a big message uh, behind that. Can you talk about it? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I'm very pleased that that it attracted you to the podcast. It was, again, a God thing because I literally just thought to myself, what should the cover art look like? And immediately 
in my head, I saw exactly what it is, a crown in eyes. And then the only thing left was to throw in the name of the podcast. Um, but since then, I've realized that it's a lot deeper than, you know, sometimes God tells you to do something or he sparks an idea in you and you don't really understand why at the time. But then as time goes on, you're like, oh, that was really smart. Good job. <laughs> um, in this case, the eyes, I mean, everyone references the eyes as the window to the soul. But there's also scripture to support that. Matthew um, chapter 6, 22 through 23, it says that the eye is the lamp of the body. And if your eye is healthy, your body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your body will be full of darkness. And the crown is symbolic of power throughout all of history. It's symbolic of power, authority, decision-making, your legacy, what you leave behind. It's symbolic of lineage. And it's also in scripture referenced as our great reward, the crown of righteousness, the crown of life, James calls it. Um, so both of those things speak to such powerful representations of who, of who a person is. And mm. we often associate the symbol of like the crown with male leadership, but it's also used in scripture with female leadership from the story of yeah. Jezebel to the story of Esther. There were women queens, you know, female queens in scripture that had powerful roles that affected the legacies of the church. And so both of those things just draw your attention. You want to know more when you're looking at that. You want to know more. That was the goal. And I'm glad to hear that that's how it's coming off for sure. Yeah, it almost, and wow, that is, <laughs> I didn't even try to interpret it. I thought, I'm just going to ask. And that is, what a message. And I don't know how to say this to you, Sister Rachel, but the graphic, it almost like smiles at me. Hmm. And, I, and I'm only looking at a a crown and eyes, but it almost, um, I don't know. I, I look at that and I see some sort of joy and hope, you yes. know, beyond the darkness and, uh, you know, our destiny as apostolics is to become royalty, you know, kings and priests with him. And that is certainly the feeling I get uh, when listening to your content. What is your, uh, how do you define biblical wisdom? And where do you see wisdom needed the most in apostolic life today? Well, wisdom is a lot more than just knowledge. It's the combination of knowledge and the ability to act from that place of knowledge, but also to combine it with empathy, with understanding, with intuition. Um, so wisdom is Christian living, you know, understanding what is righteous, what is wicked, choosing the right path. And with that being the case in our world today, it, it should most often be used in our attempts to reach the world. Uh, what I see a lot of danger area for the church right now is the political upheaval that has been going on in the United States. And yeah. people are making enemies of themselves all over social media. And that concerns me. I think we should be applying wisdom there. I mean, you ask me what area is most needed. Definitely there. We, we don't want to make people afraid to speak to us or hate us before we get to tell them about Jesus. You know, politics are great, they're interesting, it's easy to get passionate about them, but ultimately, Jesus is our king, so Jesus is the one we're representing, and we need to be careful. And something I'm constantly reminding myself, especially in, with regards to wisdom and social media, is that what I post on my personal social media account affects my witness, but also that what I comment on someone else's social media account affects their witness. When people see us interacting as the church online, they're deciding what we are 
And everything we do online should be a reflection of love. You know, Jesus said, they'll, lo- they'll know you by your love one for another. They should see that online too, not, not just Amen. in person. Yes, po- political wars. People are fighting over politics <laughs> in the church. And you know a lot about history. Um, do you see, you know, Jesus had a tax collector, Matthew, on his discipleship team. And then he had uh, Simon the Zealot, two different political opinions. And somehow they got along. You know, one was for Rome, then one's for Jewish liberation. And you don't hear them talk about it, right? Right. They keep it to them. Uh, you know, looking back at old Pentecostal history, uh, I don't think at least one is Pentecost ever took a stand on any political platform that I see. Have, have you seen it? Or is, was there always freedom of choice? It seemed to be freedom of choice, but by and large, politics used to be private, it seems. I think now it's public. Everyone wears their whether or not they're going to be a liberal or conservative on their sleeve. And it's a badge of honor for you to take a stand with one or the other political party. But it used to be, from my understanding, from what I've read, from what you know, relatives have told me, from what my great-grandparents used to talk about, it was a very private matter. What you voted was your personal your personal life. It wasn't something you talked about openly unless you were campaigning politically. But I think by and large, part of why we don't see a whole lot of that in the church is because it's not our point. That's not the purpose of us being here. Jesus said he came not to establish an earthly kingdom. And he said, if that was the case, my people would be fighting, but that's not the case. So we're not meant to be fighting. We're supposed to be at peace with one another, even when we disagree of, or especially when we disagree regarding political matters. Yeah, that's the truth. I know of people, they are not talking anymore because of politics. You know, the big fight, you know, almost like uh, 15 years ago was TV. We were fighting over TV, (laughs) TV, fighting over TV. Now we're fighting over politics. Well, I guess uh, it doesn't matter who's right. It's a matter of who is left at the end of it all. Okay, so me and my wife, in early in our marriage, we were having devotion, devotions like family altar. We were reading Proverbs, and I was reading Proverbs, and it, and Solomon kept writing about wisdom, and he kept speaking of wisdom. Actually, in every case, he mentions wisdom to be a her, a she, a female, and I pointed that out. I said, honey, wisdom is a female, and she slaps me on the shoulder, and she says, that's right, and don't you forget it. <laughs> And uh, it's it's true. And, you know, the church is referred to as a bride, the feminine. Mm. Why do you think God chose the feminine? And there's many other aspects of this throughout the Bible, but specifically wisdom in the church. Why did God choose the feminine uh, to represent uh, wisdom in the church? Well, to reference back what I was saying earlier about wisdom being more than just knowledge and action, but also knowledge and action with empathy, understanding. Um, those are typically known to be female character traits, right? So God is represented fully in the combination of man and woman working together, that synergy of male and female. And, you know, for the man, it's decisive, it's warrior, it's prowess, it's protective. And honestly, we see that reflected a lot in the Old Testament. But for the woman, it's his caring, compassionate, nurturing side, which we see a lot of in the New Testament. And wisdom ultimately is for good. It's not just about, it's not just truth, it's truth sprinkled with love. 
Does that make sense? And while a man yeah. might demand respect, a woman demands love. And since nurturance is feminine, then wisdom being the nurturing application of knowledge would be feminine. Wow. And that explains a lot. Oh, that's good. You, uh, you did a phenomenal piece on Jezebel. <laughs> and obviously she was uh, wicked. Mm. And uh, Jezebel, right? Jezebel, yes. Jezebel. I love that, those uh, Hebrew pronunciations. I'm actually uh, planning a trip to Israel, going to host one. Yeah, in 2022, the details aren't there, but uh, we're, we're working something out. So uh, we'll be watching for that. But do you think the, you know, uh, John wrote about the spirit of Jezebel in Revelation. Do you see the spirit of Jezebel existing in the world and the church today? I hear it preached about, but what's your take on it? What does it look like? Yeah, absolutely. It exists. It is definitely here. It's very present. Um, I mentioned in that podcast episode that there are two versions, kind of like there's the Antichrist, the spirit of the Antichrist, which anyone could be influenced by, but then there's also the physical Antichrist in the end time. It's the same thing with the spirit of Jezebel. There is a by and large spirit of Jezebel that we see active from um, a macro level, but then there's also a spirit of a Jezebel that can influence people on a micro level. And in my opinion, after studying it out and researching it, uh, I believe that the spirit of Jezebel is, by and large, is a spirit that entices people who are uh, people of faith into immorality and into idolatry, using cunning and deceit. And it's a seductive spirit, not seductive in the sexual sense, but seductive in the the spiritual adultery sense, where we're committing yeah. adultery against God, which is really a bad crime you don't want to be known for <laughs> but it's definitely an operation by and large but then i've also seen it in operation in specific lives i'm not going to get into that too much right now because i'm not trying to call anybody out on your podcast but um what i oh, do well, there's people popping up in my head right now but i'm not going to say no names <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> i think by and large what we can say operating in the church i'm going to call it out as feminism this women are not just equal but superior to men and um, i see that all over the place in the world but unfortunately i'm starting to see that creep into the church it seems that women in the church are taking the chip on the shoulder that women in the world mm. have and acting like the same problems in the world exist in the church and they don't they don't exist in the church the truth is women are to be in submission to men that is the way god ordained the church to be that was his plan all along wife mm. to husband to christ church to pastor to Christ. Those are the two hierarchies we have in scripture. And so it's protective though. That's so important to know. It's it's protective. It's not intended to restrict women, to inhibit women, to keep women from living to their full potential. It's not saying women are worth less than men. It's saying that women were designed to be protected. And that's beautiful. That's a wonderful, wonderful yeah. thing. <laughs> that's not ugly. Um, and I would... I don't know how hard to go in on this, <laughs> but I, I would like to caution women when you're seeking authority to ask yourself, why are you seeking authority? You know, really pause and ask yourself, why do I want to be in charge right now? Has someone hurt me that I'm trying to disprove? What am I trying to prove by being in charge? And is authority being handed to me or am I manipulating it into existence? I think that last one is very important. I've seen a lot of women make grabs for power that have led to destruction not only in their personal lives, but out further to the family, and then out further from that to the church in large. And it's devastating. Women are very p 
powerful because they are supposed to be a safe place for their husbands. Now, it's easy for me to talk because I am single, (laughs) but you know, women are supposed to be a safe place for their husband. Women are supposed to be respecting of their husband. Something I see, unfortunately, happening more and more often as women in the church are gaining this chip on their shoulder is this spirit of disrespect towards their husband that they call teasing, but it's openly bashing. And you can tell the difference because it's not said with a smile, it's said with a scowl. And then at the end of it, they're like, oh, I was just kidding. But your husband should have his Mm. trust in you. He should feel safe that when he turns the corner and walks out of your shot, you're not immediately going to start making fun of him or telling your friends every single problem you have with him. Or you know what I mean? Again, all of this very easy for me to say as a single woman. (laughs) God hasn't tested me on this yet. But this is what the Bible says. The Bible says that the woman is to be in submission to man and that for women, we receive love. For men, they want to receive respect. That's very, very important. It's very clearly laid out in Ephesians chapter five. And then, yes. sorry, go ahead. No, no, yes, keep going. I I guess I would say too, uh, because I know this is something I've heard a lot. Well, my husband's not saved, so I'm the spiritual head of my family. Well, even if that's the case, the Bible says to submit in that case too. First Peter chapter three, Peter explicitly says to submit because if you'll submit, you can win your husband with submission and your conversation or the way you live, the way you speak, the way you act. As long as we follow the hierarchies outlined in scripture, things will flow because the spirit will advocate for you with your husband. And it's the same thing outside of marriage. Women, if we're in submission, as we're supposed to be, as God ordained, then the spirit will advocate, advocate for us with men. We don't have to advocate for ourselves. Wow, that is deep. I'm almost like speechless. Wow. <laughs> I'm shocked. <laughs> You're very I, wise. So I was I was kind of nervous about I, this question, to be honest with you. I love the guy. Your answer is phenomenal. Uh, I could just I just feel the Holy Ghost in the office uh, hearing that answer. Wow, powerful. Uh, King da- moving on. King David has always been a hero of mine. And, uh, you know, just, oh, just the stories of him, his valor, uh, uh, you know, to be a true champion when Saul wouldn't be touched my heart. But you brought out an aspect of his life that I'd never considered before. And that was his marriages to mm. Michael uh, Abigail, right? Abigail. And, mm-hmm. Abigail. Bathsheba. <laughs> I don't know. I'm not sure how they say it. But specifically, Abigail. And those three marriages and pretty much the rest of them, none of them began good. They all began in chaos. Mm, Yes. A lot of wickedness. And what lessons do you think that women and even men can learn from this? Yeah. Well, first, I just want to say I share your deep admiration for David. I have been obsessed with him since I was a very young girl. (laughs) I mentioned it in my um, Abigail podcast, I believe, but I talked about how David was my first love. And so (laughs) I definitely relate there. But his marriages were kind of a train wreck for a good portion of them. (laughs) And it is uh, 
it is interesting that we have three, I would say there's a lesson to learn with each of those wives, you know, but the overarching lesson is that there's always consequence to your behavior and romantic entanglement. I really appreciated the series you've been doing, by the way, on dating and engagement and how important it is to do all of those things within mm. the will of God. And also that we should be doing those things even now while the world seems chaotic and it seems like it's coming to an end. Like God did not say stop when you see the signs. <laughs> He did. It is in his word that it is better for people to be single at the end, but that doesn't mean stay single. If God sends you a spouse, by all means. Um, but there are consequences. And for Michael, David's first wife, she disrespected David and God when David came in to Jerusalem dancing like a madman, like an absolute lunatic. She mocked him openly. And so God cursed her with barrenness. She'd never had a child. And Abigail respected God and David. And when her husband made some very bad decisions, she went and humbled herself before David and begged his mercy. And so she was remembered and then chosen to be his wife. And Bathsheba participated in the sin of David. We don't see in scripture that she was resistant to it. I mean, I've heard a lot of people preach that way, but I have never, when I've studied it out, not seen her resistance. So either her resistance was not recorded Although typically when a woman is raped in scripture, it's bluntly stated so. So either her participants was by choice or it was reluctant and scripture just doesn't tell us, but she did participate in the sin of David. And so she lost her child. Her child died. We talk yeah. about David losing his, but she lost hers too. But at yeah. the same time, she's a story of redemption because her future son, Solomon, became the heir to David's throne. And not only that, but... We read Proverbs 31, and it talks about the prophecy given to King Lemuel by his mother. Well, some scholars believe King Lemuel was actually Solomon. And if that's the case, his mother would be Bathsheba. So she would have been the prophetess who spoke the words of Proverbs 31. So Whoa. all that to say, all that to say there's right. always consequence. Yeah, yeah. So act with yeah. wisdom. Like you're always saying, don't fornicate. <laughs> Oh. Keep yourself from lust. Be wary. Be wary of everything evil. You know, guard yeah. yourself. Guard yourself. Protect yourself. But also, if you mess up, even if you're in a relationship, adultery turned murder relationship like Bathsheba, you can be redeemed and you can have a legacy of yes. power and import. That's right. You, you know, usually one bad decision leads to another, but David shows it can start out wicked and it can end in wisdom. Absolutely. All the things that came from it. I loved that episode you did. Thank you. Sister Rachel, you have a phenomenal biblical mind. And I know after this episode, everybody's going to run over and listen to your podcast. You're going to be inspiring listeners who want to learn and understand the word. And there's a lot of men and women listening to this that aspire to be a teacher and a preacher and a problem that I see now with a lot of people getting started with this, no matter what platform, is people are, are tending to regurgitate many things hmm. that have already been said in the same way. What are your study habits? And what do you do intentionally to say it in a way that nobody else is saying it? Because I'll, I'll tell you this, I read and study a lot, and you, your content is stuff I've never heard before. Uh, the depth and the and the richness of it. And can I tell you this? I've binge listened to every uh, episode, all of them. <laughs> wow. 
uh, uh, loved it. And, and I'm probably going to get up this Sunday and say, church, the Lord spoke to me. <laughs> and, and no, I would never, I would give you credit, of course. But yeah, yeah. My question is, what are your study habits and what do you do to, to stay fresh and, and teach and preach stuff that nobody else is? Sure. Well, to stay fresh, just look at the women in the Bible. <laughs> I don't feel like they no. get a lot of airtime, honestly. But uh, that's nothing wrong. Mm. That's just they're harder to study out. There's less about them. You know, it takes a lot more digging, a lot more elbow grease. But actually, in truth, what I would say, uh, if you're getting started out and studying, the first thing I would say is just read the word. Don't make it complicated. Just get in the habit of reading the word and you'll be surprised how much you glean just from reading it. And I mean, slow down, like read every single word, focus on them as they appear before your eyes. Really, truly read the word. And then as you're going, ask the questions that you would be asking me if you were having a conversation with me. Ask who is this person? Ask what's going on in their life? Why are they facing this? Or how are they facing this? How will they get out of this? Where are they? You know, what's the context of this? What is their world like? What is their culture like? Ask yourself those questions. Research things that interest you. It, you don't have to research theology to start off. You know, you can start off small people stories or grand events. If you want to know more about the crossing at the Red Sea, start there. You know, you don't have to start out with the big major theories of how to be a Christian. Start out with what interests you. And you'll find that as you study what interests you, those big theories, those grand concepts are easier to wrap your mind around because we see them all throughout Scripture, not just in the New Testament, not just in the prophet books, all throughout Scripture. Those theories and concepts are all throughout it. Um, and I would caution you to be careful of new revelations as you're going. It's very easy to read a scripture and think, oh, I got it. I figured it out. <laughs> Make sure you read the whole thing before you stop. <laughs> read the whole thing in context. And then if you have questions, yeah. Google it. <laughs> it's that simple. It's so much easier now for us. I, there's no excuse for Christians not to study their, the Bible. There's not anymore. We literally yeah. have Google. It's so easy. Although I will caution that. Remember that most of what you find on there is written from a secular audience and without faith so but um and that would actually bring me to another caution which is to be careful of what you believe if the person who wrote it doesn't have the holy spirit in them um there are a lot of people with revelations who don't have the holy spirit so they're missing the key revelation uh so i would just caution to be careful there but yeah start with reading it and then ask questions and then google for answers go nuts yeah, and when you do that, you'd be surprised what kind of content will flow out of you and Absolutely. it'll be original. And, and that's just what I love about your podcast. You're going to, you see things that I, I haven't seen. You're, you're saying things that I've never said. And that's just the beauty of God creating us as individuals. You know, there's a seven year old kid that can preach the story of Noah in a way that I can't. And uh, it's just been uh, great to, to glean from. Uh, wicked or wise been a blessing to me personally speaking of wisdom wickedness all of that has in your lifetime someone else someone else's wisdom or wickedness impacted your life personally yes constantly on a day-to-day basis (laughs) uh (laughs) yeah i would say all of us are constantly impacted by both of those and oftentimes without us even realizing it just in our day-to-day interactions but um there are a couple of key instances that come to mind that are you know grander scale than that minute day-to-day um the first one being wisdom i recently at the start of 2020 changed churches to follow the the call of god Uh, he wanted to transplant my ministry to help 
a new church out in Marysville, Ohio, and I was terrified because I was leaving a church that I had grown up in 20 years there, and I did not know what I was doing, and I didn't want to do it the wrong way. I wanted to make sure that if I was being transplanted, that I was still going to grow there because I see a lot of people start the transition of looking for a new church and then kind of float off into the wind, and I was desperately afraid of that happening to me. So I sat down with uh, an elder in my life, Sister Carson, she's an evangelist's wife, and I told her all that was in my heart, that I felt like I needed to go, that I wasn't, at the time, I wasn't sure where I was supposed to go, but that God had been burdening me for a year that it was time to leave. And she told me, you know, obviously God wants you to go, but I will say, wait until God shows you where to go. And if you will wait, then you won't become untethered. And that was that was life-changing for me because I remained tethered to one body until it was time for me to be transplanted to another body. And that taught me a valuable lesson, which is part of why people become untethered and float away with the wind is that they leave because leave because they feel the call some, sometimes, oftentimes they feel the call that their ministry needs to go somewhere that they're supposed to go and follow the call of God, but they don't know where they're going. And so they just jump, jump ship and float away or drown and... <laughs> It doesn't work out. You need a path before you leave the path you're on, you know. Uh, I'll stick with wisdom. I don't want to get into wickedness. (laughs) I I understand. Well, I've had to dig deep for strength in Mm. various times in my life. And I've had to ask myself, Justin, are you wicked or wise? Mm. You know, with... (laughs) With a, just uh, my character, my walk with God, my decisions, have, have you ever had to do that in your life? Absolutely. Absolutely. And actually, uh, something that comes immediately to mind is what we were just talking about regarding the political situation in America. Uh, when things really started to get bad last year, I wanted to be on a team. I wanted desperately to be a part of this war. I wanted to be on the right side, whatever side was the right side but I just wanted to be a part of it. And then I had to ask myself, why? Why do I wanna be a part of this? What is driving me to this? Is it driving me closer to God? Is it driving me further away from God? You know, where is my head at? And in truth, a lot of me was worried about my liberties being taken away from me in America. I was very, very scared of that. And so I was thinking, well, fight for it. But I had to really stop and say, am I here to serve America? And the though I do believe in the Constitution, uphold it wholeheartedly, am I here to serve the Constitution of America or am I here to serve Jesus, the King, and His Word? And His Word tells me to be at peace with all men. His Word tells me, you know, to lay down my sword because if I live by it, I'll die by it. His Word tells me to focus on His kingdom. Yes, give to Caesar what's Caesar's, but then get back to the ministry. And I had to ask myself, what's driving me? And I found that at the root of it, it was pride. This pride that what I had in America was great and no one could take it from me. It was mine and mine alone. But what I needed to be was humble and say, I'm willing to lay my life down if that's what it takes to be used of God. You know, if the liberties, God forbid, are stripped away from us here in America, am I willing to still stay here and still minister Christ to the people who would try to kill me? And it just came up actually on my Facebook memories several years ago when some Christians were killed by ISIS overseas. I had posted something 
And I said something along the lines of, I'm praying that those who just slaughtered the Christians overseas will be so moved by the faith of those believers that they too will begin to believe. And I was thinking about how that could someday be what we are seeing here in America. Will I follow Christ to death, to the point of death? I mean, I don't want that to happen in America, but I mean, when we just look at history, every empire falls, no empire lasts. And it's Mm, typically prefaced by what we're seeing in America, the rise of feminism, the breaking up of the family home, the worship of sexual immorality, the life is pleasure, life is joy, ignore the pain, the anything I want to be and believe is the truth. We're seeing those things rise in America very, very boldly. And those are the things that destroyed nations, absolutely destroyed them. Like you research any nation throughout history, that was the destruction. And this ideology too, that we're better than everybody else. That's what destroyed Germany during World War II. The idea that we are better and everyone else owes us, therefore we must be in charge and you all must pay our way. That's what destroyed Germany. And that ideology is starting to rise up in America. And it's all very scary. But at the end of the day, who is my king? Jesus, not America. And that was a very hard pill for me to swallow because I wanted to jump in the fray. I wanted to get involved, but it wasn't what God was calling me to. Wow. Oh, that's deep stuff. Man. I noticed on your Instagram, you have a phenomenal Instagram, by the way. uh, (laughs) You've done uh, quite a bit of traveling. Yes. It looks like seeing some sites in Rome. Mm. What is the most... um, interesting like christian historical site or piece of antiquity you've seen Hmm, can i name off a couple go ahead okay the first i would say is in ancient rome in italy um the forums which sounds really simple because it's basically just a giant rectangle with a couple of fallen down pillars that may or may not be the actual pillars that were there to begin with Um, but when i was there the tour guide was talking about this being the place that was that people gathered to discuss, to debate truth, to debate consequence. And I couldn't help but imagine Paul sitting there, you know, advocating for Christ. And it was mind blowing to me to think that I was walking the steps of someone like Paul and the changes that have happened the world over since then and how even now I'm still doing that. I'm doing it differently on a podcast platform, you know? (laughs) And then uh, another one that was powerful for me we were walking in the gardens of Nero and I did not realize it until the very end. The tour guide was like, wasn't this beautiful? And I said, yes. And he goes, yeah, those were the gardens of Nero. And uh, I immediately felt this heaviness. Well, I kind of felt it a little bit, but immediately it kind of really became my focal point, you know, um, of the deceased Christians, the people whose bodies were used as human torches to light the garden I had just walked through. Uh, the severity of martyrdom and the severity of the call of Christ in truth. Uh, and then because we both love David, <laughs> I also can't help but think of uh, Florence. In Florence, I got to see Michelangelo's David, the famous sculpture, which was pretty epic. Not going to lie. I was pretty, pretty pleased to see that. Uh, no spiritual significance, just awesome to see. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that stu- seeing that stuff is very moving. Mm-hmm. And you, it really does help make a lot of your Bible come to life. Absolutely. You know, Christianity began, you know, with Roman culture, all of that stuff. Wow. That is great stuff. Uh, You know, some of us podcasters just live week to week, but (laughs) I can just, 
I j- just from what I'm listening to you, you probably got it all figured out for the next five <laughs> years. But uh, without without spoiling anything, uh, what do you think we can expect from Wicked or Wise for the west for the rest of this winter? Well, uh, I don't know about all of them being done this winter, but there are some great great female doozies of scripture that we're going to be covering. Um, so far, I've covered a lot of low-key women, women that not a lot of people know about, but upcoming will be Eve, the mother of humanity, Mary, mother of Jesus. And the one I'm most excited and probably the most passionate about is Esther, who was a very bloodthirsty queen of ancient Persia. And no one talks about her bloodlust, but she was a crazy lady towards the end. Yep. I know about that. <laughs> well, Awesome. Well, I will be tuning in. Thank you. Awesome. Spirit Signal with Justin Gleason. Listeners, there you have it. At the close of this episode, go right on over to Wicked or Wise. Subscribe and become a loyal listener. Rachel Aline Carpenter, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you so much. Thank you.